Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Uh, hello, Kat. I am glad you're hosting again, because I kind of took it last week and I ran with it, and uh, a lot of weird things were said. I thought you did a good job. Uh, oh, thank you. I do think it's funny that you were like, oh, let's not curse too much, and then you were the most foul-mouthed <laughs> of them all. <laughs> I, I am nothing if not a terrible hypocrite. But, I mean, we were talking about, like, shipping stuff, so, of course, I'm going to start, like, (laughs) being foul-mouthed about the whole thing. (laughs) We also have a special guest. Hello, I'm Ben Hansen from MinMax. Thanks for having me on. And Ben is formerly of Game Informer, and he's been like, hey, can I come on the podcast? I want to talk about Final Fantasy VII compilation, and that actually fits really well with... uh, our current countdown to Final Fantasy VII Remake. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about Advent Children and Dirge of Cerberus, all of our favorites. Hell yeah, let's get into it. This is exciting. It's going to be very exciting. Ben, really quickly, do you want us uh, to tell us a little bit about MinMax? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I was at Game Informer for nine years. I started there in 2010. I went on like the Skyrim cover story trip. That was like my first trip for Game Informer, which was bizarre. Um, yeah, to like get into the halls of Game Informer and they're like, by the way, there's a sequel to Oblivion. It's called Skyrim. It's all like snowy and there's dragons. And so you're going to go check it out ahead of anybody, um, which was just an honor. Um, and so I had a really great time there. Still love it dearly. But then after um, some layoffs there at the end of last year, I decided to leave and start the whole Patreon thing. So we call it MinMax. So it's M-I-N-N-M-A-X, uh, patreon.com slash minmax. We always say two ends. It's just a reflex at this point. Um, so we have the MinMax Show podcast, which is our main show. And then something that I think is up the alley of this audience is we do community game clubs that we call The Deepest Dive. So we all play a game, break it up into chunks, and have what we call the best, most thorough discussion about the game possible. So we just actually wrapped one up not too long ago uh, for Chrono Trigger. So it was like six hours of talking all about Chrono Trigger. Hundreds of people wrote in while they're playing along. And so like when you have the hive mind of the internet, you can get so specific when talking about those games. And then we're going to be doing the Final Fantasy VII remake coming up soon. So I've been just binging on all this compilation stuff. So I'm raring to go. Oh, I mean, I think our audience would definitely love a deep dive discussion about Chrono Trigger if they're out there if they aren't completely burned out on it from Axe of Blood God because we've had we've had a few <laughs> conversations, haven't we, Nadia? We we've gone over it and we have written several articles. Uh, the most recent one I wrote was kind of going over the game's endings because there are number one a lot of them, and number yeah. two some of them are really good. Like they fill in the story, like the Magus versus Frog battle is really amazing, and then there's the weird weird ones where like it turns out frog is the like ancestor of marl and it's uh that was weird i had no idea what the hell that was yeah i had never seen the uh i'd never seen the developer ending but just looking that one up on youtube it's hilarious and it's actually like genuine insight into the development of that game and just how brutal it was for all those developers like that it's weird that the place they can be the most honest is in the game itself yeah uh, i remember they did that for final fantasy 4 but it was cut out of the american version uh for oh. the first time around so chrono trigger's developer room was my first experience with any sort of you know getting to know the developers and seeing like you know the sprites they chose for themselves i thought that was a lot of fun yeah and i love it i'm glad you guys have also dove in deep on chrono trigger because it just it's so frustrating to be a big fan of gaming podcasts and then chrono trigger gets brought up and everybody goes yeah good game man oh that music all right, well, moving on. You know, it's like no. you have so many of those conversations. <laughs> no, wait a no, minute. Like, let's get as specific as possible. Let's talk about 
uh, Zayla's jumping animation. Like that is the level of specificity way to get into it, MinMag. So it's very fun. Well, you should definitely check it out. And Ben, by the way, what is your Twitter account where people can follow you? Oh, yeah. So on Twitter, I'm Yozetti, which is my old screen name for Age of Empires 1 that I regret now, but I guess I'm stuck with it. So it's Y-O-Z-E-T-T-Y. Excellent. And as for us, a little bit of house cleat. As for us, a little housekeeping. I am on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. You can, if you haven't already, you should subscribe to us on all of the different formats. We're on Stitcher, we're on Spotify, we're on iTunes and your Google Play Store and whatnot. We also have a newsletter that goes out every single Wednesday, courtesy of our own Nadia Oxford, and it has a specific RPG-related topic. Nadia, it seems like you're playing Rune Factory 4, question mark? Yeah, um, I have on my Switch Mini, I have Rune Factory 4, and I've never played a Rune Factory game, so I just kind of jumped into Rune Factory 4 Special for the Switch. And uh, I'm actually enjoying it a lot. It's As someone who really adores Stardew Valley Harvest Moon, it's a little bit like that, but it's a l- it's actually quite a bit more combat-focused. Like, uh, you have a main storyline that you have to go through, because of course Stardew Valley doesn't really have that. Um, one of my favorite things is that you can tame monsters and they can fight with you or they can farm for you. And I have a wolf who, who fights alongside me. You do a lot of crafting. Uh, of course, you can like, you know, try to woo someone. I'm actually a little bit mad because there's a really, really cool lady knight named Forte. And I told her, I love you. And I'm playing as a female. She says, I love you too. We'll be always be comrades in arms. And it turns out <laughs> you can't marry her. Because there's no same-sex marriage or relationships, Aww. and I was so mad. So I had to, like, woo the Sundari wolf boy instead, which is going all right. <laughs> I'm amazed you go for that uh, when Animal Crossing, I'd imagine, would kind of be in that same vein. But you go for something more systemic. You want some more, some more meat yeah, on those bones. Though. Yeah, I'm definitely playing both at the same time. Uh, and I find Animal Crossing is a little more, as you say, uh, like, um, a little more free, a little more open. Plus, I have to share my island with my husband. And it's going okay, but um, we kind of have tug of war sometimes, so I can just go to Rune Factory and do whatever the hell I want to my to my plot of land. <laughs> Perfect. So if you're enjoying the podcast, do us a favor, leave us a review. Also send an email at cat.bailey at usgamer.net or DM me on Twitter if you have a question for our mailbag, which goes up every month. Okay, let's move on. Nadia, you're not only playing Rune Factory 4 and Animal Crossing, you're also playing, you also got to play the Bravely Default 2 demo, which dropped following the Nintendo Mini Direct. Nadia, what did you think of Bravely Default? It really kicked my ass. Um, (laughs) The demo warns you up front, okay, this is a little more difficult than what you're going to have in the the game itself. I guess the developers really want you to get into the systems. And yes, if you want to survive in the demo, you do have to really make good use of the Brave and Default systems, which, if you're not familiar, in Bravely Default, as the name suggests, you can default for your turn, which means you you guard and you store up uh, Brave points, and you can do that four times, and once you have enough Brave points, you can just kind of unleash attacks or attack multiple times. Uh, you can do a whole bunch of things with these systems, basically, and um, so can the enemies. And so you have to, it's basically trial by fire, you get used to bravely defaulting. Uh, you can also go into debt with your with your uh, braves, which means you would miss four turns, but you can take four turns immediately to try to take down the enemies quickly. And that was my mistake, because these enemies aren't weaklings. So I would use my turns up, they'd still be standing, and then I would just stand there like an idiot while they curb stomp me. And that was my 
problem right there. So I really had to learn how to balance that, that, that system bravely and defaulting. And then you have to be careful where you step because there are extremely hard enemies that are off the path. And I think, oh, oh, that's like a, a cross between a snake and a, and a, a mouse. That's really cute. And it ate me. Like, <laughs> I, Stay to the path, Nadia. Stay on the path. Just like, uh, you know, if you've if you ever read like The Hobbit, you can't go yep. off the path in the dark wood. Pretty much like that. So, um, yeah, I enjoyed the the demo. I remember saying on Slack, okay, you know what? I got to grind a little bit, and I did. And Eric and I were having a conversation. Well, what's better grinding music? Is it Rush or is it Pink Floyd? And I kind of went with The Wall hmm. for because I haven't listened to The Wall in a long time. So I went with that while I did a little bit of grinding. And I handled myself pretty well after that. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was difficult, but I know the final game will be um, a little more balanced, most likely. I know that you'll probably have... The difficulty settings, which you have in the or with the other games. Uh, one thing to mention, if you play the demo yourself, keep an eye out. There will be a survey, much like there was with Octopath Traveler. So, um, as I recall, the development team actually took that survey very seriously for Octopath and put in quite a few adjustments and tweaks and, and uh, improvements before releasing the final game. So, play the game yourself. Do the survey and uh, look forward to what's coming in, in 2020 sometime. We don't have a release date, but it is coming. Keep the faith. I want to circle back really quickly to you saying that you were listening to Rush while grinding. <laughs> ben, are you, if you're grinding in a game, are you more likely yeah. to listen to music or are you more likely to listen to a podcast or do you just listen oh. to the game itself? 100% podcast. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it, I, it takes a special kind of game to be podcast free. Even I, even games I love, where it's like, wow, a little bit of downtime. I'll just squeeze in a little bit. But I'm addicted to podcasts. So I'm a bad example there. But yeah, I don't know. The music thing, because I like having a little bit of the game volume up. And I feel like that combined with podcasts is a real sweet spot. Mm, that's I was, Kat and I always have this discussion. You, you people who can multitask like that. Like, she listens to podcasts while she's writing. I can't do that. I can't even listen to music with lyrics while I'm writing. Yeah, that seems impossible, Kat. How do you do that? I don't listen to podcasts while I write. <laughs> Oh, thank God. So you're not Superwoman after all. Just so I listen to it. music definitely when I'm playing, usually music without lyrics. But when I'm playing a video game, I'm watching a show or yeah, I'm listening to a podcast or whatever because uh, it's just, it helps me focus my brain weirdly enough. It is that weird thing though. And I love video games a lot, but every once in a while it's like, well... If the only reason I'm playing Pokemon Sword and Shield is just to crank through a thousand podcasts, like I'm enjoying the game, but like if I wasn't allowed to listen to podcasts while playing this, I feel like it'd be kind of a slog. Like, is it secretly damning to the concept of video games overall where I've just gotten so used to this pairing that just purely playing Pokemon, I feel like, man, it'd be a little dry. It's just our society as a whole, I think, because anything that isn't constantly engaging us, we're going to probably get a little bit of bored. And so mm. more sedate experiences are just going to naturally, we're going to want to, a lot of people I think will want to fill in the gap with music or podcasts or watching shows. At least that's my opinion, speaking as somebody who definitely has uh, attention issues. So, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. I won't feel so bad then. <laughs> no, don't feel bad. Lots of people do it. Uh, very soon, uh, there's going to be another RPG that we can look forward to. It's going to be Xenoblade Chronicles Remastered, mm, yes. and that's coming out in, I think, May, question mark? Well, I think that's how Nintendo pitched it, is May, question May, mark. May they had the big, yeah. But they had yeah. the disclaimer at the start of the Direct saying, we don't know, all these dates <laughs> might slip around. Yeah, they might change. They had a they had a warning at the front of the thing, just because of the COVID-19 virus, and the, everything's kind of up in the air. But I think that uh, 
uh, a game like Xenoblade Chronicles, which is coming out with, an, with a final edition, like a really cool boxed edition, uh, that might be delayed, I see, but um, I think the digital version will be fine, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it, frankly. Are we, do you think that the Switch shortages will be addressed by that time? No. I, I, everything is so weird right now in our society that I don't know what's going on. I'm just drinking <laughs> and letting it all pass. <laughs> it's bizarre. But I, I thought that Remaster looked a lot better than in previous showings. Like, I, mm-hmm. I was yes. interested in it. Like, I loved the original game so much. And then it wasn't until seeing this Nintendo Direct where I'm like, oh, maybe I do have to replay that. Like, the faces in particular have a really great style to them that I wasn't expecting. I think the one thing I'm kind of curious about is I think they changed the voices. Did you guys notice that? I think so, too. Yeah. Because Dunban sounded like Pee Wee Herman. And if that's the case, I'm going to be very mad because he's my favorite. <laughs> he was like, no, shock. <laughs> they also said that they're redoing some of the music, which is confusing. Yes. But I mean, I, the soundtrack is so amazing that I'm it's afraid It's so amazing. It. But I think I, when they played the Gower Plains theme, which is just one of my favorite themes ever, it sounded a little more... Um, dynamic. So I think that's what they mean. Well, I'm really looking forward to Xenoblade Chronicles, but first there's going to be Final Fantasy VII Remake. And before we get to that, I think we should talk about the compilation of Final Fantasy. So let's get to that. Don't go away. Hey folks, this is Kat, just letting you know that this following section is going to have some spoilers for Final Fantasy VII, so if you don't want to be spoiled ahead of Final Fantasy VII Remake, you've never played the original, you should know that we do talk about the end of Final Fantasy VII and some of the key plot points, so keep that in mind. Alright, let's keep going. So, the compilation of Final Fantasy VII, very kind of weird spot in Square Enix history, I suppose the first question that I'm kind of asking is, what is your like initial memory of compilation of Final Fantasy VII, Ben? Since you're the one who kind of brought up this topic, I'm curious, yeah. like, what grabs your attention about it, and kind of what's your history with it? Well, Final Fantasy VII is my favorite game of all time, but there is something oh, really okay. Yeah. Now, now that's uh, that's a that's a hook. Your favorite game of all time. Yeah, well, here, here's my qualifier. If you factor in nostalgia, strip nostalgia out of it, then I uh, think it's Shadow of the Colossus. But I can't divorce it. Like, it's the first RPG that I ever played. You know, PlayStation was my first console. It's just everything to me, which uh, I'm very in on this thing. But the compilation hit at a really weird period where it was just when I was starting college. And so it came in that weird zone where I think I was trying to maybe be too cool for school. I was still playing a lot of Smash and stuff, but like I wasn't maybe as willing to embrace uh, myself with a dorkiest, which is now my full-time job. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I was excited about Advent Children, and I was like, oh, there's a Final Fantasy VII movie. I remember telling friends of mine that I played the original game with back in middle school about it, and they're like, yeah, okay, maybe I'll check it out. I don't know. I don't even remember that game. But uh, I watched the movie and was shocked by how numb I was by the whole thing. And then it really wasn't until, I mean, when I was at Game Informer, I borrowed a PSP and like played through maybe like half of Crisis Core. But now I'm at a point where I'm going all in just to get ready for the remake. So we're actually doing a let's play of all of Dirge of Cerberus and we're like, oh, why would you through. do that? <laughs> just for fun, you know, just having a blast. Come on, that's not fun. Yeah. I know. So it was kind of a scattered approach. Like I remember watching, you know, like the the anime was like Last Order and stuff like that, but it was kind of piecemeal and distanced, you know? And so 
now in retrospect, looking at it, you just look at the whole and realize like, holy God, did Square spend a lot of money on this? They spared no expense with any of these. Like it is an absurd amount of effort that they put out there for this. And what's particularly wild is that it sprung from the fact that Square was kind of in dire straits at the time Mm -hmm. after the failure of Final Fantasy Spirits Within, having to close their big movie studio in Hawaii. They had sunk so much money into that, it almost tanked their merger with their Enix. And so the mandate was being able to create tons of uh, material around their various properties at a relatively low expense. Uh, Final Fantasy X-2 is a great example of that. A new game featuring completely repurposed assets and everything that could ultimately be made at relatively low expense, kind of like, you know, Aladdin Return of Jafar or something. Yeah. And, <laughs> Straight no, to video. I mean, Square. this is totally Square Enix's uh, direct-to-video period, but... Yes. They really did dump so much money into getting things like Madhouse, a relatively prestigious anime studio, mm-hmm. to do a Last Order, or really going all in on Advent Children. It's kind of kind of a strange dichotomy going on there, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Um, I remember, uh, as Ben brought up, like talking to people who liked Final Fantasy VII back when it was really cool, and saying, oh, there's a movie, and them being like, oh, that, that's cool, I'll check that out, uh, when this when compilation came out, this was my grooming years, and I was uh, in like <laughs> grooming these years. grooming salons, and uh, I used to work with a lot of girls who actually liked Final Fantasy VII and, and video games, and we were talking, we were excited for the movie, and then it came out, and my friend came back to me the next day at work and was like, I have no idea what that was about, <laughs> and I'm like, I hear you, girl, because to me. A Final Fantasy VII, the original, had I really like its ending. It took me a long time to appreciate is ending, but I really did as I got older because if you recall in the second part of the game when everything looks like it's about to go to hell and no one knows if, if Mija's going to stop and like if the live stream will be able to... to yeah, spoiler alert, sorry. And Bugenhagen, and that's uh, Red Thirteen's grandfather, says, well, the planet is going to decide if, if humans are good for it or if we'll all be purged. And then... Spoiler alert. Well, I'm just saying the fact that Advent Children kind of ruins that mystery um yes and makes a whole mess of it besides like uh there's like a million sephiroth clones running around like not <laughs> not like not like actual virtual sephiroth clones but like people who look like sephiroth and have these weird biblical names like angel and genesis and and etc 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 it was just it could have been a kind of a good movie but it wasn't and i didn't like what they did to cloud who's all you know, he really fell into that stereotypical moody phase that everyone associates Cloud with, even though that's not the kind of character he is. I'm sure we'll get yes. into that with Crisis oh, Core. my gosh, absolutely. And I hate to be a dork here, but that's the point of the podcast. <laughs> uh, and Geo and Genesis, that they were from Crisis Core. It's that's Kadage right. okay, and stuff. That, you're thinking of the other Sephiroth clones. <laughs> yes. And uh, <laughs> I have to say, like, I, I love Crisis Core. I was just, like, looking at uh, some of the, the videos from that and thinking, this game was just too good to be confined to the PSP. Yes. Uh, like the ending is just just broke my heart. Like I put up a gif of it today on Twitter because, like I said, it makes me sob like a scolded trollop. Uh, the <laughs> bit with like Zach and and Cloud and Zach saying you'll become my living legacy, and he just kind of hugs Cloud, and Cloud's covered in his blood, and it's just like ah, oh, I love it. It is it is so well done. And actually, I, I only played half of it before, but then just this morning, actually, I watched. A YouTube cut. Uh, you can go on YouTube and find like a three-hour yeah. cut of all the cutscenes. And I mean, you nailed it. It is 
so good looking for a PSP game. Like, I don't know how they got the HD output and whatnot for these versions on YouTube, but the facial animations alone in that are just absurdly well done. And the soundtrack is a lot better than I was expecting, too. Like, the sweet guitar work that that entire game is incredible. Yeah, the remix of Eris' theme with the acoustic guitar, that's really nice. Yes, absolutely. But that ending, I was struck by it just because, like, it's pretty brutal in Final Fantasy VII. How much are we spoiling here? <laughs> At this rate. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> All of it, apparently? <laughs> I mean, you gotta a little bit. Anyways, but like seeing that shot in Final Fantasy VII, there's like a couple Shinra soldiers, you get the idea. But yeah. then in Crisis Core, it feels like, just to spoil more, I guess, subtly, it feels like the end of like Red Dead Redemption 1. Mm. You know, where it's like you're just going up against that wave and it's like, well, here we go. Here's Les Stand. Let's go for it. But... It's so well done, and the music is just at this crescendo during that entire scene as they're still on the cliff, still just unloading into Zack. It's amazing. And the way that they re- they utilize the the slot machine mechanic to utilize uh, to reflect his or visualize his impending death is pretty amazing. Yes, yeah, like a little yeah. nod to Aerith and stuff. Yeah, I was a uh, struck going through that. It's also in the original game. Like as a kid, I loved Aerith. Aerith. Oh, I guess I gotta get on track and say Aerith. Um, but then replaying Seven, it's like, boy, her dialogue is so rough in the English version. She's just so mm-hmm. simple. And I guess they're trying to make her cute. But I think in retrospect, it's just she comes across as kind of dumb. <laughs> Dilly dally, great. shilly shally. There's actually um, someone was playing the Japanese version recently and saying on Twitter how her dialogue in Japanese is quite stilted. And given that Aerith, oh. Aerith grew up in a lab. And supposedly in the remake, we we recently heard that we will go into Aerith's past quite a bit. Um, it could have something to do with that, but you're yeah. right. She always sounded very kind of like a little bit twee and a little bit like brainless in the in the translation. So there's probably, um, given how rough the translation was for Seven to begin with, there's probably a, a quirk that she has that's just not coming through properly. Yeah, but even then in Crisis Core, I was struck by like, ah, oh, her dialogue here isn't that great either and it's like she should be such a huge part of that game but then I, I didn't know this but there's so many details that are so silly that they squeeze into crisis core like zach gave her the idea to sell flowers and zach bought the ribbon for her hair and zach said hey yeah. every time i see you i want you to wear pink it's like he's like weirdly <laughs> controlling everything about her it's bizarre it, it kind of reminds me of solo where they're having to come up with an origin for literally everything about han yeah. solo Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. But that's another weird thing is in Crisis Core is just how they're taking so many structures and kind of archetypes from Final Fantasy VII and just kind of like rewinding it back in time a little bit. So it's like, okay, yes. in this game, Sephiroth is, I guess it's fair to call him a buddy or at least on your side throughout most of it. And now he's looking at Genesis, who is basically the Sephiroth type about losing his mind, trying to understand his identity, his relationship with Genova, everything. And then even it's like, okay, instead of Hojo in Final Fantasy VII, we're going to go back in time. And now it's, oh gosh, I forget his name. Halloran, something like that. It's just another evil doctor. You know, it's like, yeah, and instead of Cloud, it's kind of Zack, but then also kind of Angeal. It's just like rewinding everything and having a lot of those same beats, even with Cloud and Zack, I'm sorry, with Zack and Aerith's storyline. Like, Zack falls through the roof into the church. It's just like repeating all these things for everybody. Well, I think the point is that Cloud is trying to live Zack's life in some ways. And so I think that thematically it's supposed to be a reflection of that particular aspect of Cloud because they're going, okay, Zack is doing all these things. It's a purposeful echo of what happens in Final Fantasy VII. 
Right. It's like poetry. Yeah. It rhymes, as George Lucas said. <laughs> <laughs> but not stupid. That's definitely the case. Um, <laughs> I will say the thing I love about Crisis Core is I love the dynamic between Zack and Cloud. And Cloud is not a character we get to really know a whole lot about beyond people assume, oh, he's just a moody anime boy. But in Crisis Core, he's very... He's, he's actually kind of cheerful. He and Zack like buddy around a lot. And basically after Cloud gets uh, all, he's like has the Mako poisoning and he can't move and Zack takes care of him and talks to him like he's, you know, they're friends and he can respond and he's just there for Cloud to help him out as he's totally unresponsive. I just find that really well done and really, really sweet. The thing that bugged me about Crisis Core at the time was that it was the beginning of Square Enix's purposeful shift away from turn-based classical mm. RPG mechanics and toward more of an action-based aspect. And that's what happens in Crisis Core because you're playing a Zack. It's more of an action game. You do have RPG elements. You do have the slot machine and everything. It actually kind of in a lot of ways feels like Final Fantasy VII Remake in the way that they decide to approach yeah. it. And it's it's a valid choice, I think, but it was a signal of things to come and creative choices that I don't necessarily agree with. <laughs> Yeah, and it was directed by Tabata, who went on to do Type Zero, and then even Fifteen. You can really track his action path through the Final Fantasy series like that. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of Tabata, he also worked on Before Crisis. Which, how familiar are you guys with that particular game? Played it. Oh, cool! Like, <laughs> well, just just the opening. Isn't like a cell phone game? Yeah, so it's the Japanese cell phone game, right, Cat? Yes, it is. So here's the thing about Before Crisis. It was actually the first one to come out in the compilation. And it uh, it was supposed to be Advent Children, but Advent Children hit production issues. So before Crisis ended up beating it to market. And it might have come to North America, but it had plenty. Uh, but American cell phones were too primitive at the time. Yeah, they kind of were. Yeah, so... Yeah. But, you know, you were playing this game in 2003 on a Japanese flip phone. Not the most optimal of experiences. I didn't really play games on my phone until the iPhone kind of came along. But I, I've watched videos from it, and it's a surprisingly sophisticated game, despite the extreme limitations that were kind of put upon it. Yeah. Uh, it's And I think it was last year at some point. I remember Kotaku wrote an article about it, maybe other sites as well, about how a fan had fully recreated it in, I think, RPG Maker. Oh. Uh, yeah, so, oh, I'm trying to remember if it was RPG Maker or something else, but it, it's pretty janky, and it's a lot of ugly repeating tiles and stuff like that, but if you want to play <laughs> Good old it, RPG Maker. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, but it's like, oh, I remember, like, the main character's name was Shotgun, which I thought was weird. <laughs> that sounds about right for Square at the time. Yeah, why not? And it also um, reflected... It also reflected Nomura's kind of big affinity for the Turks. It always feels oh, yeah. like, given Very the Turks. opportunity, he will always make Rude and all of them the main characters. Because I think he just, I think he just really enjoys designing all of them. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame him. I mean, Reno's definitely a favorite, a fan favorite. I like Rude because he's just so like, as his name suggests, so mm -hmm. clammed up and Agent Forty Seven, but in the Final Fantasy universe for some <laughs> exactly. reason. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And then in Crisis Core, they add uh, the new one, Cisne or Cisne. I believe. What the hell is that? <laughs> uh, it's the Lady Turk. I don't know. She kind of disappears. Nice name. Um, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, this was also a game where uh, it was centered around Red Thirteen, and we did we learn about like he has more members of his species. Like I heard like the names Cobalt and Indigo. 
I mean, probably. I I don't, I'm not super familiar with the entirety of the Before Crisis story. I know that it's mainly about the battles between the Turks and Avalanche. Um, Right. And it's much more kind of showing Avalanche as a a terrorist organization, as it were. Mm -hmm. Um, It's fun. They kept adding episodes, actually, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Red 13 aspects got into the bonus yeah, stories. Yeah, that makes sense, because um, that was their really, like, releasing episodes on Feature Phones phase, because that's how I first played um, before, sorry, uh, After Years Final Fantasy IV, uh, which I have played to completion several times. Thank you. Hero. Hero. <laughs> uh, or a villain. I mean- yeah, you never know. My mind's reeling now just thinking about like what that could be like. It'd be a really cool story if it was like the Turks that captured Red 13. Like, that'd be a it fun It was something idea. like that. Like Red 13 was apparently doing, like this is all stuff I looked up when I looked at Red 13 on the, yeah. on the Final Fantasy wiki. Uh, Red 13 was doing like kind of a, a a ceremony to appease the planet and the Turks cornered him. And he was like, okay, can you just let me finish this ceremony? And to the cre- to the Turks' credit, they let him finish it before they took him in. So that was probably before they, uh, when they actually grabbed him the first time. Apparently, I think there was a female or something. I mean, Red 13 does have, like, little cubs that are adorable. So I guess there is one hanging out somewhere. Red 13's wife. <laughs> Red, <laughs> so 13's cute. Wife. Yeah. Red 13's wife. Yeah. Unseen wife. Yeah, you mentioned, like, you know, okay, the Turks are reasonable. There, there are They are in such a weird spot where it's like, well, they're bad, but... They're also just so cool that they'll be on your side, like, in 7 when they just, like, walk away. When you go back to Midgar, like, ah, we're cool here. No, Except no for that part yeah. where they massacre people. Well, you know, Which no time? one's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty cool, except when they're carrying out the orders to effectively perpetrate a 9-11 on Midgar. <laughs> but then, uh, Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, like, the first time you leave Midgar, um, they just kind of care less and less about you to the point where I think you're in Juno. And they're in this really cool rendered bar. And he, like there's just like cigarette smoke drifting up from the tables where they're sitting. And it's just like, they're like, go away. We're on vacation. We don't <laughs> I care. I mean, it's the same in Wutai. They're just kind of there. They're just like, yeah, hey. We're hanging. <laughs> we're just hanging. But it's like tone... meeting Hojo on the beach. Yes, like, exactly. Because what are you doing here? <laughs> I don't know. What are you doing here? <laughs> just want to remind you that he exists. I don't know. Uh, but it's funny to see like how extreme they go with the Turks in Advent Children in particular. Like, they are basically the three stooges throughout that entire film. Like, Reno <laughs> is just slapstick city. And it's so weird how Square dials up the Turks on the comedy scale and then dials mm-hmm. down everybody else, like, especially Cloud. They take any humor or charm or just looseness yeah. out of his character from Seven and just turn him into cool guy in a motorcycle with sung- sunglasses, which I agree is why Crisis Core stands out for having him be a little bit more of a rookie. And even Zach in that game, I think his personality is so fun compared to it is. how we now perceive Cloud. Sorry, if I can go back to the Turks really quickly, I think they're almost like a little bit of a Greek chorus in that they're kind of there after mm-hmm. a while to just comment on what's going on rather than actually driving the plot ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you got it there. Uh, one thing that actually does make me quite angry about Advent Children is that the Japanese version, That's a, I've complained about this before, so pardon me, everyone. But I'm still mad about this. Uh, the Japanese version, the end song is by, uh, I can't remember the name of the Japanese singer, but Gerard Way from from uh, My Chemical Romance is contributes to the song as well. And it's a really great song uh, called Safe and Sound, I think. And I've been looking for it on iTunes for years and I can't find it. You'll, all you'll find is like... It's you probably know, on Spotify or something. Uh, it, apparently, it's just like, 
the, the Japanese rights, for some reason, just haven't let it come out here very easily. And it's a, like I said, it's a really cool song. I love Gerard Way and I love MCR. So, yeah, yeah there. Is, does it play, like, during that bizarre sequence where it's CG Cloud in, like, the real world on his motorcycle? No, just thankfully, like, just, like, when he's just riding on the highway like a free man. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's so bizarre. We recorded a commentary track, actually, for Advent Children not too long ago at the Min-Max it's behind the Patreon paywall. I'm sorry, but only five dollars. But uh, but that was the weird thing. Is like during that entire credit sequence, it's like, what is going on here? Is that the <laughs> real world? And clouds just cruising around <laughs> on his bike. Like somebody in Square, maybe Nomura, really loves motorcycles. Nomura probably. I'm gonna vote Nomura. Okay, it has to be. Yeah, because it's all over the place. Even in Dirge of Cerberus, it's just motorcycle crazy. And Final Fantasy 13, the the weird Shiva motorcycle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess they're cool. The thing about Advent Children, so I guess this is the point where I'm going to start talking spoilers for Final Fantasy VII. I'm also going to put a spoiler uh, tag ahead of this discussion. Probably so, should. So listeners don't have to be as concerned about it, but okay. So Final Fantasy VII, the whole point of it in many ways is to deconstruct the badass hero. And I mean, it's been gone, gone over many times. Cloud is kind of a dork, actually masquerading as a total badass. Um, And eventually he's exposed as a bit of a fraud, but he manages to come to terms with that and become a much better person, I suppose. And in fact, I guess they're going to be playing that up a lot in the remake because the scenario writer was saying, I hope reader, I hope players will accept this, Mm -hmm. uh, this aspect because I've created a cloud who will just... Like, most of the time, he's just trying to play this aloof, detached thing. And if he doesn't really understand what's going on, he'll just say, I don't care about that. But it's meant to come <laughs> off as a little bit dorky, I suppose. Yeah, he, he's, he said it's supposed to be, quote-unquote, a little bit cringy. But in Advent Children, now he's just like a full-on badass, as you guys were kind of alluding to earlier. He's on his motorcycle. He's like strong, silent type. He's much more cliché. Yes, and it sucks yeah. that like in scenes that we should be so emotionally invested in, where it's a scene where it's like, hey, one and one with Cloud and Tifa, there's just no life, there's no energy because it seems like the prime directive is Cloud has to be cool and stoic. And so honestly, seeing Nojima say that in the Inside Final Fantasy video, which I think is where that's coming from, uh, mm-hmm. which is a solid insight into the remake overall. Um, but that's the most positive thing I've heard from the developers about the remake is that, you know, the main person in charge of the story is so aware of, okay, Cloud is actually a dork and this is all a front. He's not actually a cool guy. And the fact that he's worried about the community retaliating against the idea of him not being cool, it's like, maybe I'm alone, but I think the community wants a dorkier Cloud, please. Yeah, um, I've, I've heard that myself. I think that people who kind of came into Final Fantasy with a compilation and, and kind of absorbed the internet's, uh, you know, perception of Cloud as being like this this stoic anime emo kid, um, they're going to be a little bit surprised because Cloud, um, as was brought up in the in the video, Cloud is, it has issues with being accepted. He's, he's actually, one thing you learn in Final Fantasy VII's flashbacks, he's very lonely. He didn't really have many friends. Uh, he wanted to hang out with the cool kids, but he was too shy and they were too cool for him. So he's he's always looking for acceptance. And that, of course, makes him kind of aloof sometimes because I guess he doesn't want to be hurt by being rejected. So uh, I was actually a little bit relieved, like you, Ben, to hear that they are going to take this. You're going to take his personality quite seriously. They're not going to just make him insert like uh, the Advent Children version of Cloud because that was something I was very worried about. I was worried that we we're going to get the stoic 
boring, let's just say boring version of Cloud. Yeah, and I love that, you know, he was lonely as a kid, and then it even carries through in his adult years, like in Final Fantasy VII, when he's not in your party for a while, and the characters are just talking about Cloud with Tifa. I love the tone of just like, yeah, we're not too crazy about him. Like, I guess, I guess we'll keep fighting with him. Like, Sid and Barrett and everybody are like, I don't know. I guess, sure, he's fine. Which is so great that, like, even they're that doing group okay is, without him. Yeah, exactly. Just leave him in the live stream. We're fine. So, does do you think Advent Children does anything to take the story of Final Fantasy VII forward, or is it just kind of fan service? Uh, to me, I feel like it was mostly fan service. I never felt a, uh, an urge to go back to it and, and observe the the story points or anything like that again, like I had with other like cutscenes and stuff like that. To me, it just came off as like uh, kind of a, a side story, a guide, in, if you will, where hey, look, there's Red Thirteen. Hey, look, there's Sid. Oh, cool. Oh, there's Sephiroth. Because of course, there's Sephiroth. And I just didn't feel like I gained anything story wise from that particular movie except maybe one thing i actually did like about cloud is you kind of see he's wearing uh eras like a, a ribbon and remembrance of Aerith, and i thought that was kind of sweet but um otherwise yeah. he's just like meh yeah and i also think like the ending is kind of sweet where cloud sees zach and Aerith like mm-hmm. in the church and then they walk off to heaven that's one of those things of like uh, i was complaining about kind of being emotionally numb to that film overall then that scene was like oh wait it's actually yeah, melt nice my heart scene. a little bit. That's a really nice ending. But in terms of moving things forward, uh, no, I do like the idea, I guess, if you have to make a sequel of like the geo stigma and the fact that, yeah, it turns out when the live stream is covering the entire surface of the planet, there's going to be ramifications for that. I think yeah, I do like that. I do yeah. like the fact that there was that geo stigma, like virus slash sickness. Like that was an interesting story point. No, I don't like it. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> Sorry. Because, I, I mean, Geostigma, fine, whatever. I <laughs> just think that... <laughs> I just think that it. we didn't need to see what happened after Meteor in Final 100%. Fantasy VII. Because yes. the beauty of the ending of that game was you don't know if humanity survived. It is an open question. I totally, totally agree with you, but Square is going to Square. I get it. It's just... Advent Children, by its very nature, ruins Final Fantasy VII, and I would have rather they had done a story that was concurrent with uh, the original game, or even done a prequel. Like, they could have done Crisis Core, basically. (laughs) I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. Or just done, like, straight-up world-building with different aspects of... Like, here are some other adventures of Avalanche as they're going around... Uh, here's how Barrett and Tifa got to know one another. Here is life in this particular world. I don't know. But the fact that they made it a full-blown sequel like annoyed me. And then meanwhile, it mostly exists to... I mean, I think that movie is defined by the scene where I think Cloud is fighting Neo Bahamut or something, and everybody is just like, he's jumping, and everybody's lifting him up so that he can jump real, real high. Hell yeah. And I'm just going, <laughs> what? I about that. It, oh Bahamut my god sin that was the name <laughs> oh wow i love it good pull the uh i'm amazed rewatching that movie that i watched like the complete edition this time too and it is literally the entire back half is action starting with that yes. bahamut scene and then transitioning to the sephiroth thing it just does not stop and there's some amazing shots in there to be completely fair like you know lifting up cloud is great but like there's a motorcycle fight um in a tunnel that looks great or the tifa fight in the church I that think was pretty is, good, yes. It's incredibly well done. Um, so, like, I guess for those moments, 
maybe it's all worth it. But I agree, it's all silly. And especially the idea of like Kadaj injecting Jenova's cells into him and then somehow that revives Sephiroth, like whatever. But then it's just frustrating that like, okay, if Sephiroth is in fact back on this planet, it's frustrating that in the movie, all he does is, and now I'll kill you, Cloud. It's like, I would like to think that Sephiroth is above that idea that he has bigger goals and a bigger vision of what to do with his miraculous revival compared to just, yeah. I'm going to sword fight you super hard now. It's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, they sword fight super hard. Oh, it's great. <laughs> it's just a classic example of canon bloat. And then that's not mm. even including stuff like there are these uh, novelized episodes called On the Way to a Smile, which you can yeah. actually listen to as audiobooks on YouTube now. Because uh, there are people who have uh, narrated them and that kind of thing. And it's there to basically fill in all of the gaps. Uh, I was like, oh, what happened to Barrett after after Final Fantasy VII? What happened to Tifa? There's this one kid named Denzel who... Uh, he was basically kind of there for a lot of the major events, like the plate falling in uh, Final Fantasy VII. They're going, oh, but and this kid, like he... He is feeling the consequences of the actions of Avalanche and the Turks and all of those people. And he's tying in there, too. And it's just like, I I don't care. <laughs> I know. It's so hard to Denzel. care. <laughs> I want to check those out, though. There's got to be some yeah. interesting nuggets in there. Uh, sure, if you're really into the lore. Yeah, there was a, a bit of lore that I picked out from there. I haven't listened to the radio dramas myself, but I have read a little bit of the translations about um, Eris, Aerith meeting uh jesse wedge and biggs in the live stream and hojo and that's right she met hojo too oh uh, weird but she i remember her the thing that i took out of that was she talked to jesse and jesse like actually did really regret killing those people she made the bomb too strong because she got the recipe from a really like sort of uh off the off the rails a uh, faction of avalanche and it blew things really sky high and it wasn't supposed to so she can't pass on because she's lingering with regrets in the live stream and, and Aerith has to help her move on that's amazing the maiden who travels the planet if you ever want to check that out i there's always been kind of an interesting strain with jesse i might add of you know people who are like total radicals versus the people who want things to change but aren't necessarily willing to go all out in the same ref- respect and i think jesse mm-hmm. is supposed to embody that aspect and they seem to be expanding upon it in final fantasy 7 remake they are definitely expanding upon avalanche and final fantasy 7 remake uh particularly jesse who has always been a fan favorite even though uh i mean this is a spoiler cast so we'll just say that she kind of goes out uh, along with wedge and biggs and she is kind of a sad ending because she sees cloud for the last time and says i'm glad i could see you one more time and you can talk to her and she says like i have a lot of regrets and that's how she dies uh but i think their deaths in remake of the deaths of avalanche is going to be a lot more impactful i mean i already love wedge he's <laughs> isn't yeah. he like literally like i see i've never watched breaking bad believe he's it or not, badger he's, from breaking bad <laughs> yeah he's badger which like same voice actor right it's yeah. an amazing casting choice yeah like he has so much personality in that demo it's great yeah so i've always loved wedge i'm glad to see that he's gonna get more of a part here uh, especially since Wedge was the one who knew from the very start that Cloud was putting up a facade. Uh, you can talk to Wedge, and he Wedge gets made fun of a lot because he's kind of fat. But when you talk to him as Cloud and say, like, you know, he tries to open Cloud up, and Cloud says, I don't care. And Wedge says, I know you're just, this is not you. You're you're really warm inside. You're just putting up a front. So he's the one who, who kind of called out Cloud's bullshit from the start. Yeah. 
so over time, there um, were various editions of Advent Children being released because it's, you know, Square. They're always going to do that. And various complete editions, one that included a fully animated version of Episode Denzel, for example, uh, one that included the Final Fantasy thirteen demo. But at the same time, while people remember it, I don't think people remember it particularly fondly. In a lot of ways, it's been kind of lost to history. Do you think? Do you guys think that Advent Children is worth revisiting in the year twenty twenty? Not really. Um, I see. So like, no. <laughs> Just the fact that you were like, uh, like nah, nah. So I the feel answer like is no. A lot of the canon established there, if you even call it canon, will be wiped out by remake anyway. I hope so. I mean, but they don't really have to touch it too much, which is nice. But I mean, if you just go on YouTube and watch like the Tifa fight and the Sephiroth Cloud fight, I think you're going to get the highlights you're good. there. Yeah. Yeah, you're good. Um, I would say if you really want to watch something from that particular time, watch the Last Order anime because that was actually really good. That was about Cloud and uh, Zack before Crisis Core. Uh, just like them getting away from Hojo. It's only half an hour. So beautifully again, animated, but it actually caused really nice waves animated. because it changed a lot of the Nibelheim stuff. Uh, the, a lot of the established canon events and fans got mad because fans do what fans could do. Fans get mad. It's been a long time since I watched it, but I can't remember what the canon was changed. I thought it was like pretty, pretty strict. Yeah, I wonder nope. if they aligned it with like Crisis Core a little bit more. Because yeah, I watched it back when it released. And I haven't seen it since. Actually, Crisis Core disavowed it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like they said, confusing time. They said specifically in an interview, oh yeah, we like there are fans who did not react well to Last Order, so we're going to a much more traditional viewing of events of what happened in uh, the original Final Fantasy VII with Crisis Core. So, oh, gotcha. So you mentioned that Advent Children was delayed, and before Crisis ended up being the first. And is that mm-hmm. because it is like they were going for the naming convention of having a. C B C C C D C. Like, is that that is that the square logic? I think it might be. That would be such a square thing to do. I think that's what they're going for. I think there are literally production problems, and that's why Advent Children ended up being delayed. But that is a great theory. No, but that's why yeah, that's it, why yeah. it's B C A C in the order of release. You know, like oh right, yeah. I'm, oh, they had to have been doing it that way. Ugh. I I really hate that. I really hate that you pointed this out to me. Sorry, it's, you know, that you gotta, look, this is an RPG podcast, we gotta talk about Square that way. But Dirge of Cerberus came out before, uh, Advent, uh, before, sorry, Crisis Core. Oh, really? All right, never mind, it's all mm, yeah, out the window then. because it was a PS2 game. Yeah, 2006, right. though. Yes, whereas Crisis Core came out in 2007 in Japan, and 2008 okay. I'd love to know why the storytelling is such a, there's such a discrepancy in the storytelling, because uh, Dirge of Cerberus was so terrible and the writing was so painfully bad, and whereas Crisis Core was actually quite good and very sweet and well done, and it's like, thank God Crisis Core came afterwards because Dirge of Cerberus was just like, oh lordy. To be hey, not to fully defend Dirge of Cerberus, but Crisis Core is good, no doubt about it. But some of that writing, in particular, like for the big recurring line from Zach in Crisis Core to just be protect your honor always. If you yeah, want to be a hero, honor. you need honor. Like he repeats that line about honor. 4,000 times throughout there, and it's like, yeah, we got it, I guess, it's fine. <laughs> oh, but yeah, yes. it's, it's not exactly Oscar quality. No, no, but it is sweet overall, and the characterization, I think, is great. But yeah, Dirge of Cerberus, it goes for it. It introduces many more new characters than I was expecting, a whole organization with deep ground. Some of the character designs, I think, are kind of cool. There's a character named Shelk, who, like, fights yes. with, like, two kind of little, kind of, like, lightsabers, but then they have, like, a 
long tube connecting them. It's like a really unique weapon design that that's cool. Yeah, um, I really like the fact that this was a game that let us know a little bit more about not just Vincent, but also Lucretia, who is Sephiroth's mother. And I'm disappointed that Lucretia was such a, like, such a cliche anime goofball, uh, just so boring, especially since, you know, fandom is really into the whole, like, is Vincent actually the father of, of Sephiroth? Was it really Hojo? And they could have, it's been canonized, no, Hojo is, the, is, is Sephiroth's father, but they could have had a lot of fun with the dynamic between uh, Vincent, who was in love with Lucretia, Vincent, Lucretia, and, and Hojo, and they, they didn't really go anywhere. It was all very, like, Lucretia made a mistake that killed Vincent's father, and she's carrying the guilt, but she won't tell, she won't talk to Vincent about it. It's just supremely boring. And they had Steve Bloom as, as Vincent, and I love Steve Bloom, and he could yeah. not save this game. He's just, he he's falls in that cloud trap of just, oh, Vincent's the cool vampire guy? Okay, he'll just be flat cool vampire throughout the entire thing. But I'm fascinated by you calling her Lucretia, because when that happened in the game, I was like, what? It's Lucretia, isn't it? But the game <laughs> it makes probably it... probably is. Well, but the game does pronounce it lucretia and then also they pronounce they it also Ch- pronounce it mako <laughs> well yeah i guess that's canon. i'm so mad about that but the weird thing is dirge of cerberus they call it shinra and then i feel like everywhere else oh, they call it shinra uh, well it's because it's she as in she like in japanese shinra would be how you would pronounce oh. it in the original okay. japanese so. i did not know that gotcha but there's like some fun things if you really want to zoom in on dirge of cerberus like okay the idea that you get to see sid's new airship that he called the shara and the idea that mm. I, I think like uh, Reeve funded the construction of Shara and like Sid's whole new operation here. Reeve has like a surprisingly big part in the game, and you yeah, actually play it a lot. Yeah, you play as Kate Sith for one level at Ketchy. least. I'm sorry, uh, Ketchy. Thank you. I remembered <laughs> that it was a different thing, but I always am sticking with Kate Sith. Um, but yeah, but then they try and make this big emotional moment where Ketchy is that what we're going yes. with? Yes. Okay. Not it. You're on board with this too. Well, it is Irish mythology. Ketchy uh, and all right. Irish is weird. We'll go. With You're it. on but a very was... nerdy podcast. No, yeah. I signed up for this. I love it. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, at some moment, uh, Ketchy dies, but then it's revealed that that was actually Ketchy number six. Like they're just rotating through these. Like <laughs> I don't know. Does anybody understand the physical manifestation of Ketchy? How does that? No, absolutely work? not. No, what absolute, is a robot? Not in a million years. What is a puppet? What is what? Because I thought I understood it for like, okay, maybe like the big Mog Moogle thing, that's the robot, and then the cat looking part is a creature. But then it gets confusing because Reeve is like walking around and hanging out with the cat part in Dirge of Cerberus, where it's like he doesn't have like a yeah. remote control in his hand. Like, what is happening here? <laughs> yeah, and they could have made it so simple, like uh, the way Carbuncle is kind of. Uh, uh, Noctis's uh, totem in Final Fantasy XV and follows him around. They could have done that with Ketchi, because uh, Ketchi is, of course, a summon in many other of the uh, Final Fantasy games. Just make him Reeves' patron uh, uh, summon, just hangs around him. It, it happens. Or a robot. Games. Yes. Or a, ro- a, a robot with robot. AI that, yeah. that Reeve can indirectly control. I mean, yeah. here's the nice thing we will learn how it all works probably with Remake Part two or three whenever uh, we get around to it. Like, I bet they're going to have to explore the physical manifestations of that weird thing. But other things in Dirge of Cerberus, like, you know, it's 2006 when they're designing this thing. It seems like Lord of the Rings is still big. So, like, on the big return to Midgar, they have just a pure Lord of the Rings battle where it's like, okay, the forces of deep ground versus, 
you know, you got uh, Cloud and Barrett and Sid and just a whole army of airships. It just feels so Peter Jackson around that era. It's bizarre. My main memory of Dirge of Cerberus is Square produced so many of them because Final Fantasy VII, it's going to be a big seller. And it just flooded GameStop (laughs) from all of the people (laughs) returning it. For the longest time, Dirge of Cerberus, like borderline... GameStop borderline wouldn't take Dirge of Cerberus because there were so many of them. <laughs> I'll give you five cents oh, for no. it. <laughs> uh, I hate to to say it, but I don't hate playing Dirge of Cerberus. What? Like, it's a game wow. that's really... We all have our game like that. Okay, good. It's it's really easy to cheese. Like the sniper is just absurd, like the rifle, and you can just like I've taken out bosses just by barely peeking out around a corner and then taking them out. <laughs> but it's so weird to play like a third person shooter. Uh, where there's no, like, dodge, there's no cover mechanic. It just feels right on the cusp of being in a whole new era because Gears of War came out that year, and it's just a bizarre game to play now because you just feel like, I have no verbs. I can't do anything but just stand here and get shot. And this was, like, as you say, like, came out right before or right during, like, when shooters really went through a renaissance, and Vincent's just standing like an idiot getting shot because you can't do anything, you know? Yeah, yeah. Here's what the English version added mechanically. Double jumping, the ability to shoot while jumping, exchange dodge roll with dash, and change the ability of gun wielding mode from right over the shoulder to a bit further back, enabling a better field of view. It also changed limit break from requiring MP to requiring a limit breaker item to use. Ah. And there are various other things. And despite all of these actually very fundamental changes... To make it more playable because the Japanese kind of hated it. It was still really bad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I guess Vincent's popular. Like, do you think they did surveys to try to figure out? If you removed Vincent from Final Fantasy VII, I would not care. No. I barely remember that he's in it. He was just kind of a weird side character, a cool, uh, accessible. Yuffie is actually more important to Final Fantasy VII than Vincent. He's just this weird oddity. And it's just like, who cares? Yes, exactly. But he's cool. And in this era of Square, they loved cool things. They did cool, pointless things wrapped in a ton of bandages for no reason. <laughs> yes, exactly. And belts, of course. Oh, of course. Somebody wrote, more or less a poster child for why compilation of Final Fantasy VII was a bad idea. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I cannot argue that. I just never understood Vincent. Um, his... his Changes are kind of cool, but they're useless in battle because you can't control them. Uh, he, I never understood why he's just waiting for you in a coffin. And you go to him and you, you wake him up and his coffin top flies off. And it's, how did that happen? It's so ridiculous. Why? You, oh, my sins. Oh, my sins. Shut the hell up. He's, uh, there was supposed yes. to be more to him, but it got cut. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense because... I, did, I do kind of like his backstory. He has an interesting backstory. And as you said, there's that whole dynamic between him, Lucretia, and Sephiroth, and Hojo. I hope they uh, nuke I, that from Orbit in Final Fantasy VII Remake. What? Just Why? get rid of that. No, I don't, I don't want to know any of this. It's, I, Bad news, Kat. You're going to learn all about it. No. <laughs> Good news, you won't learn about it till like 2034 or something. But you God, will no eventually kidding. learn about it. We will all be I, cyborgs waiting for Final Fantasy VII Remake <laughs> Part Three. Yeah, I will say the one thing I'm definitely looking forward to in remake, and you won't see it uh, in the first part, and this is also connected to Vincent, is I love the Nibelheim Shinra Mansion. I think it's one of the coolest, creepiest settings in an RPG, and I love the fact you go back to it, like past and present, and see how things connect. 
it's just yeah. a really, really interesting locale. Yep. And you go there in Dirge of Cerberus too. But yeah, I can't wait to see that with the remake. It's going to be great. There's also a uh, an enemy who swings from a chandelier and has like hair like Fabio. And yeah. <laughs> every time I visit, I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> okay. Big question. Should Final Fantasy VII Remake pretend that the compilation never happened? Or should it in uh, or should it implement some of the lore used like through ref- uh, like explicit references and that kind of thing or should it actually incorporate things like advent children in as playable sections what do you guys think uh i i feel like they don't really need to acknowledge it you know maybe it seems like zach is beloved within squares so maybe they'd go out of their way when that storyline starts to heat up in the remake of trying to touch on some things that are in crisis core but outside of that like you can dodge a lot of these beats and they can kind of just go off the original right yeah yeah i feel like um you can pretty much not acknowledge Avent children whatsoever i will say i'm pretty sure a lot of crisis core is going to wind up in the remake they've already hinted at it there's a, a poster in the subway in the in the demo that refers to the apples that come from that game. I think they're called the white apples, the dumb apples. There's like a poster for apple juice, and it comes from that particular town in Crisis Core. Uh, and they have already said that some parts of compilation of Final Fantasy VII will get in there. That's obviously one of them. Um, I feel like the whole history of Zack and and Cloud in Crisis Core is, is good enough and solid enough to kind of keep it in there. Other than that, like, I don't know, I don't think it really needs many, anything else from compilation. Yeah, I don't think we'll see like Kadaj wandering around Midgar or something like that. Like, you just don't need it. <laughs> Panhandling. Yeah, exactly. So do you guys think with the second part of the remake, you think it's going to be like cold open to Cloud's past? That seems like a really clean way to start it, don't yeah, you Yeah, I am very curious. I mean, it's pretty certain that the first part is going to end at the end of Midgar when they're standing on that highway looking out. So, of course, as we know, in the uh, actual game, that's when you travel to Calm and Cloud recounts his history with Sephiroth, which is also a really cool part of the game. I still love that green dragon battle. It's yeah. just, just how cool Sephiroth is. It's staged so well. So uh, I think you're right. A cold open to Cloud's past would be really interesting. Question is, I guess, where does the second part end? I guess with the death of a certain character. Probably. <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> cast. Oh, that's it's right. It's okay now. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think it's probably going to end with, um, Aerith dying and then we go, and then the final game might literally be an open world game with tons of quests a la Final Fantasy 15, uh, in which you can go into the, in which you can go into the crater anytime you want. That would be really cool. I am looking for it because I, speaking of open world Final Fantasy, I think Final Fantasy 14 is freaking amazing so they can do it. And I think Final Fantasy XV was a good, a, a good start for an open world Final Fantasy game. It obviously like didn't quite work out that way, but I'd be, I'd be down with that. So, and I guess my final question is: Does the compilation of Final Fantasy VII ultimately do you think it's like a success? Is it worthwhile? I'm gonna say that probably only Crisis Core is anything of note. Like Crisis Core is worthwhile. I'm kind of sad that it's stuck on the PSP forever, and I kind of wish that they would bring it to Switch. 
I am amazed they yeah. never made like. By the way, take a shot because this is the part of the show where we say, "I wish it would come to Switch." <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, the port begging section. But uh, I'm amazed that even if it would have been really late, that they never made a port to PS2. Like when Type Zero yeah. can get off PSP, but Crisis Core doesn't. I don't understand what's going on there. I wonder if they signed kind of some kind of deal with Sony where they probably where they got X amount of marketing money in exchange for making Crisis Core a PSP exclusive into perpetuity. This I is, think it might also have something to do with, if I'm not mistaken, Crisis Core has a character named G who is literally based on a Japanese rock star. Uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but that might have something to do with it. Oh, is it the Jillian lady? Y- yeah, yeah. So, I don't know, that's my best guess, but I would say in terms of the compilation, I just acknowledge Crisis Core and the rest just kind of goes into the garbage as the garbage pile which is yeah i might dig into it once in a while to find out something if there's something fun but i'm not gonna i don't want it to be part of final fantasy 7 remake yeah if you ever want to play crisis core the best way to do it is to get a psp emulator and a rom and play it because that's uh that's pretty rad actually <laughs> because yeah. it yeah. super cleans it up you get to play it on a much bigger screen it, it, and it looks good it's like one of the best looking psp games i would go as far as to say it's probably the best psp game over god of war it's up there over God of War, over Peace Walker, like I would say, like those are kind of the big three. Maybe Luminous is in there as well. Yeah, because like Peace Walker is a great game, but I think that the remastered version is much better, and I would rather play that one on PS3. And mm-hmm. then, and and like some of the multiplayer aspects of Peace Walker, ultimately, you know, they, they were just okay. They didn't co- manage to land it. And then God of War was an amazing game, but. I don't think God of War holds up that well anymore, especially with Sad Dad God of War um, being out and kind of changing <laughs> up the formula a lot. Yeah. 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 So Crisis um, Core, like, where's the crown, in my opinion? Yeah, and another thing about Crisis Core and the canon within is that uh, we already know that the remake, there's going to be a lot of focus on Wutai and the war in Wutai, and Crisis Core has a lot to do with the war in Wutai. So they're already, I think they're already pretty much linked. And I'm hoping maybe because remake is coming out, and you have a lot of canon from Crisis Core in there. Maybe that'll inspire Square to give us a, a remake or a, re- a revision or heck, just a, a port like they've done with the other Final Fantasy games on Switch. Just give us something to actually play the game and see where this all came from. Yeah, it's a really great point about Wuta. Yeah, I forgot that that was such a big part of Crisis Core. Even like yeah. the fact that Yuffie apparently met Zack briefly. It's like, okay, sure. Sure, why not? <laughs> <That's> so <silly. laughs> of course she did. All right, Ben, you're a special guest. Any final thoughts? Oh, Final Fantasy VII is lovely. Um, honestly, it's just if you've never played Crisis Core and you don't want to bother with an emulator, it's it's worth it to look up a YouTube compilation cut of just the story of Crisis Core. It's it's a fun time. I mean, it's yeah, around yeah, it's around the length of The Irishman, I guess. But just sit back and enjoy it. I think you'll have a great time. <laughs> All right. If you want to contribute, make sure to send me an email at cat.bailey at usgamer.net or email or send me a DM on Twitter or leave a comment on the show notes. In the meantime, we're going to head out to the next section. Don't go away. All right, last week we did a giant spoiler cast for Persona 5 in preparation for Persona 5 Royal coming out. Ben, did you ever play Persona 5? Uh, I started it, and I am halfway through the spoiler cast right now. I'm just going to rip off the Band-Aid and hear you all talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you hear about the part with like uh, where the main character and Akechi should hate 
Yeah, it's great. Yeah, thank you. I, I think that's uh, I think that's one. Damn of the it, most, Nadia! Uh, <laughs> this is for kids. Uh, this is one of the most. Ins- I have to bring out the most inspired thing from my heart, and I think it was a very inspired thought. Uh-huh, and, I, uh-huh. and 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 I've been playing uh, Akechi's because he has new side quests. Uh, you can have him as a uh, a confidant in uh, in Royal and get to know him better. And it is so gay. It's amazing. I- I'm just speaking the truth. I'm a prophet. What can I tell you? <laughs> All right. This is what you guys had to say. This is from Dolrich242. This is probably more addressed to Nadia. I have the original PS4 version of Persona 5, but I've yet to take it out of the box. I've heard the Royal version changes some things up, and some people have had issues with the new endings. I want to play Persona 5, but should I repurchase the Royal Edition and play that, or should I just play the original? I cannot see myself spending 200 hours playing both games. What's the recommendation for the version I should play? Thank you, and I love the podcast. I would definitely say go with Royal. It adds so much, um, and you're right, playing both of them side by side would be a real chore uh i have not gotten one of the endings yet so i don't know what kind of changes were made but that's very curious it's kind of like i feel like with most persona games you would go with the special the special edition like i've never played persona 4 but i played i've played golden and many people who have played uh fez without playing actual persona 3 so um i was always like one funny thing that i was telling cat a long long time ago is that the people I buy my cat food from are huge, huge RPG fans. And the girl was always telling me, play Persona 4, play Persona 4. And I'm like, no, okay, fine, but I'm going to play Gold. And she's like, no, we got to play the original. So I'm sure there's people out there who are like purists, but I always say go for the, the enhanced edition. I had thought about finishing up Persona 5 just on the save that I've got, but now I'm seriously considering picking up Royal and just starting fresh. Yeah. Um, the nice thing about Persona starting again is that you can get go through a lot of paths that you missed the first time. Like, I had never met anime Bernie Sanders before, and I find <laughs> oh, he has a really so interesting... He has a really interesting plot line, so I'm really enjoying that. So I w- somehow I went through the first game without ever meeting him, which means really? I can get the Sun Arcana. Yeah. He's just, like, right there. He's just out he's right there, there outside in Shibuya. But then he's like, oh, I'm going to go get a beef bowl. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want beef bowl. I want to go, like, you know, date on or whatever. So I, I just missed him the first time. Uh, and I decided, you know what? I, I kind of like this guy. I'm going to get a job at this stupid beef bowl place. I never went back again once <laughs> once I got the, uh, the confident. Uh, I get messages on my phone from my job saying, hey, can you come in today? And I love the fact that you can tell him to go piss off. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Tokyo Bernie stands outside the train station that was basically where I used to commute home from work. So... That is, I love that little area of the game because I've always said, like, people say, oh, Toronto's trying to be New York. But no, if you go to Toronto's Dundas Square, it is totally Shibuya. It has the crossing and everything. It just Hmm. makes me feel like I'm at home. Did I ever tell you? So Persona 5 is based in Yonginjaya, right? So the real, the real, the real station is actually Sanginjaya. So it's like three to four, four equals death. You get it? Yonginjaya. Oh, but uh, oh, okay. I used to work in Sanginjaya, so that was also my kind of like neighborhood. <laughs> That's actually really cool because I actually like that location. I like all the tight little alleys and the little hideaways. Like, is it like that? It's super richy rich, actually. Like oh, really? a lot it of movie kinda... star, a lot of Japanese movie stars and executives live there. So I was that's who I was kind of working with. Hmm. What I really like doing is um, going to. Uh, Shoot, I can't remember which district it is, but it's where I finally visited myself when I went to Square Enix to see uh, Dragon Quest Eleven. Uh, it's into I, I can't remember the name of it unfortunately, but it's in the game. It's the red light district. Uh, I didn't see any like sort of weird hanky panky when I was there, but I thought it was a really cool area. Hmm. And on that note, weird hanky panky. Let's end. Axe the blood god. 
which is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are sold. I am on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And you should go follow all of the U.S. Gamer accounts at U.S. Gamer Net. Ben, your special guest, please plug all of the things. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, if you want even more Final Fantasy VII, you can check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash show. Um, or you can follow us on or support us on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash minmax. And uh, if you support us at any tier, you get access to the Discord, which is just the Internet's Shangri-La. And then also you can submit comments for the big community game club discussion. Right now we're doing Animal Crossing, which is very fun. And then coming up real soon, we're going to be doing the Final Fantasy VII remake. So it's going to be the best, most thorough Ooh. discussion about Final Fantasy VII's remake on the Internet. We promise. Outside of Acts of the Blood God. <laughs> Well, hey, yes. maybe it's a competition. Let's see who gets more granular. Oh, it's out. on now. All right, get out of here. On. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Actually, Ben and I are from the same place, and um, so I have to be very nice. Oh, it, that sounds really nice. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's going to be a very interesting discussion. <laughs> Kat, is there any chance you'd ever move back to Minnesota? I've thought about it on occasion, but man, it is so cold. It's fine. Yeah, you've been spoiled by the climate over in San Francisco now. Every time I go back in July, I'm like walking around near Minnehaha Falls or something, having a beer, thinking to myself, wow, this is gorgeous. People are riding around on bikes. I could totally live here. And then I remember that in six months, I'd be scraping ice off my damn car (laughs) at six in the morning while it's pitch black out and just wondering why. Why am I doing this thing? Yeah, that's right. Because rough. spring always comes back. Yeah, you need the and it ups gives you and a the high. downs. Yeah, it really is exciting. Like the first couple warm days, like everybody is as friendly as can be. It's it's the best feeling. Why don't you put your car in the garage? That's why you have a garage, cat. <laughs> yeah, see? We're on I'm top not gonna of it. buy a house. What do you think I made of money? <laughs> you can be in Minnesota. You'll live like a queen. It's true. I, I would live like a queen. I could probably afford a house just by myself. But, They're giving but, it But uh, yeah, here. no, I, I was actually supposed to go back home next week uh, to catch a twins game, R.I.P. And uh, I would have loved to have gone on the show, but if, if they ever let us out of our house, maybe uh, maybe I'll stop by Minmax. Yes, please. You're welcome to swing by my cold basement at any point. Woohoo! <laughs> cold basements are my favorite. <laughs> that is such a, a northern thing to have the basement, yes. and it's always freezing, and there's usually centipedes in there somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah even having a basement. Period. Because I mean, you may have heard that California has earthquakes. Not a great idea to put basements down yeah. there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. That's that's a weird thing about going down south is finding out people don't have basements. Uh, like in North Carolina, where my husband is from, there's no basements because the clay soil is is not good with with the water, so you, it just gets flooded all the time. All right, folks, we'll be back next week, same time as always. Oh, my God, we're so close to Final Fantasy VII Remake. It's going to be very exciting. Um, In the meantime, for Nadia, for Ben, and for myself, thanks for listening. Happy adventuring.